Welcome to Vine Pair, the podcast where we talk about wine, beer, and spirits, the experiences we have with them. From New York, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And today we're talking about whether or not the age of your whiskey actually matters. We've always gotten tons of questions here at Vine Pair HQ about whether someone should care if a whiskey is 10, 12, 18 years old. Zach, I know you probably uh, you know, have, have drunk a lot of whiskey in your time, as have I. What do you think about age statements when it comes to whiskey? Well, first, I want to preface this by saying that my wife and I had a whiskey-themed baby shower. So yeah, I drink a lot of whiskey. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. It, it really was pretty cool. Um, some people gave us some strange looks, but I'm used to that by now. Um, I think this this is really an excellent question, and it's a it's part of a broader conversation about sort of age spirits in general. But especially when it comes to whiskey, I think we've gotten to a point where age is fetishized. Um, you know, the older a whiskey, the certainly the more expensive it is. But sometimes that uh, correlation is way out of whack. Um, and I think where you see it the most is when you get beyond about that 18-year point uh, with things like uh, single malts and things that are going into used barrels and even younger with um, bourbon that's going into a new barrel. I think when you get past about 10 or 12 years, you surely, you really start to kind of lose any uh, distinction between the age of the, of the spirit. And it's more than about exactly uh, the quality of the barrel to some extent, and then also kind of the quality of the initial spirit uh, when it goes into barrel. But that being said, I think the big, the big point of confusion is, again, we assume older is better. And to some extent it is, but it also isn't. And that's where the confusion lies. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, for me, I always used to think as a when I was a newbie whiskey drinker that all that mattered was how old the whiskey was. And I, I think you're right. To some extent, it does matter. I think, you know, look, I mean, there's a reason that people pay lots of money for bottles of Pappy Van Winkle 23. Um, mm, it's there's a few reasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it, that one is it, – it's pretty incredible at that older than age. Uh, same with, you know, certain scotches. But actually, I think what we what we fail to realize is that just as important, if not more important than the age, is actually the quality of the wood. And um, we ran an article a few weeks ago about how much wood really is the key driver in impacting how good your whiskey is. And, and the writer actually took a pretty um, – you know, crazy stance, I felt by saying actually the distillate doesn't matter at all. Like the quality of the distillate is not what matters. Like you, if you, you know, taste the distillate coming off of the still, like for the most part, you know, as we would say, white lightning tastes like white lightning, right? It moonshine is moonshine, but that it really is up to the distiller to find the correct barrel and to find a barrel that actually interplays with the liquid during the time that it's aging correctly. So the argument being like you can age a whiskey for 10 years, but just aging it for 10 years isn't what makes it special. It's aging it for 10 years in the right barrel that's been created to age the whiskey for 10 years, a barrel that allows for the wood grain to you know soak in the whiskey and let it back out, that allows the right amount of evaporation. Or else you're just putting you know a whiskey in a barrel for 10 years and, and who knows what's going to happen. So I think that's really interesting that it's it's more than just how old your whiskey is. It's it's all the other things that go into it um, that really make a whiskey special. Absolutely. And I think that's a really important point that uh, to make a really great whiskey, you need to be able to have um, an, an aging process whereby the effects on the whiskey or on the spirit are gradual so that the accumulation of time really does matter. And I think about this a lot, you know, uh, here in Seattle and I think in a lot of other parts of the country, there were a lot of um, sort of craft distilleries that came along when some of the laws uh, were liberalized 
And people wanted to get whiskey, you know, bourbon and other kinds of uh, whiskey on the market as soon as they could. And a lot of that came out of, uh, or a lot of the way that people accomplished that was by using sort of smaller than standard sized barrel with the with the thought that not inaccurate that hey, if we have less liquid in a in the or less a, a ratio that's different of you know more surface area, less volume, we can get more contact with the wood when the as the spirit is aging, and we can sort of accelerate that aging process. And I tasted a lot of those, and they're like. Uh, they're kind of like uncanny valley whiskeys. Like they're almost right. Like you're like, God, this is, this has like a lot of the flavor that I want, but it just doesn't seem totally there. Um, and I think like, you know, it's probably privately, a lot of the distillers would agree that like this wasn't what they were doing because they thought it would make the best whiskey. It's what they thought they were doing. Or it was what they were doing so they could get a whiskey that was palatable on the market. And that eventually they would, um, you know, be releasing whiskeys that were made in, you know, the full sized uh, kind of standard bourbon barrel. Um, and so, you know, that time is you cannot avoid the necessity for time. You have to you have to kind of give the spirit its its chance to have that interplay with the wood. And I agree with you. I think we in this country are only sort of slowly starting to recognize how important um, cooperage is in terms of both the selection of the wood material itself and then the way the barrels are made and seasoned uh, as a huge driver. And again, yeah, those great distilleries, whether they're, you know, especially the American distilleries that are working with new barrels, the secret for a lot of them, yeah, it's not, they're buying the same corn and rye and wheat as everyone else. They don't have some secret. It's the, it's the barrels. Yeah. It's the barrels and it's how long they're willing to give it. I mean, there was sort of, you know, building on what you were saying of the craft distilleries in, in Washington, you know, that's what sort of made Tuttletown famous in uh, upstate New York is they were taking barrels and then uh, they were famously putting speakers inside the the Rick house and they were blasting rap music at night. Mm. And they thought that the vibrations of the sound waves, I mean, I guess for, for an audio person, uh, it's probably really sexy, but for most people, <laughs> uh, it didn't really make that much sense, but they thought that the vibrations of the sound waves would force the whiskey in and out of the wood grain faster. Um, and that it would cause an infusion of the wood flavors into the whiskey. And it did to some extent. I mean, that's why I think, you know, that's how they released, released Hudson baby bourbon, but it, it never created, I think, that that smoothness, that real rich concentration that you get when a whiskey is really old. That I, th- I feel like it's there's it's, it's it's hard to describe. But when a whiskey is young, even if it has a lot of the vanillin aspects of the wood and really sort of like that sweetness that you expect, especially when it comes to bourbon, it still has that harsh alcohol burn. That as that whiskey ages and that angel share evaporates off and into the ether, right? And the whiskey concentrates, it, it's, it tends to not have anymore. And I find that that's where a, an age whiskey changes for me is that I really do enjoy whiskeys that are young, but for the most part, whether someone would tell me it's blasphemous or not, I have to have that whiskey on ice. Like it's, I need some of that little dilution in order to take away a lot of that raw alcohol that I think is still there in, inside the spirit. Whereas when, the whiskey gets over, you know, eight to 10 years as, as the average age of the whiskey in the bottle or the youngest whiskey in the bottle. Um, you know, then the whiskey becomes really smooth and easy to drink for me without ice. But I also think that's something that's really interesting that most people don't realize is that when we say an age statement of a whiskey is eight years old or 10 years old by American law or by, and, and by Scottish law as well, that's just the age of the youngest whiskey in the barrel. And, you know, I've talked to lots of readers and friends before who thought that's the age of all of the whiskey. But what people don't realize is the, the, you know, the blender's trick, even when it's a bourbon and you think, oh, isn't this, you know, 
not blended or a single malt scotch, all these whiskeys are being blended. And what they're doing is they're putting in young, older whiskeys into this bottle in order to create that depth of flavor that they wouldn't have if they just put in, you know, 100% eight year old whiskey in the bottle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I want to I want to touch on two things you said. I think that that note about how um, an older whiskey, in particular bourbon, can be smooth, um, and that's just something that comes with yeah the the sort of the evaporation through the angel share and all that. I think is really illustrated if you try even like barrel strength old bourbon because it has a smoothness to it that like you look at the label and you're like oh wow this is like 128 <laughs> proof or something but it does not taste that way whereas your standard 80 proof young bourbon can have that hot taste even though it's significantly less uh, boozy than um, an older but more sort of yeah supple i guess uh bourbon and and then and then to come back to the other part of the age statement i mean again these these are confusing yes because they're not a declarative statement about every last drop that's in the bottle um and it's also you're right i mean uh distillers have and blenders have forever kind of finessed things by by using those little tricks and i think that's you know that's totally an, an acceptable part of of things and as long as you're in the world where the age statement is a, a minimum and not a maximum as it can be for a few other categories of beverage um then no one's really getting deceived um but it does create this really uh this real challenge and it's obviously been something that's been borne out in the whiskey world of late which is there just isn't enough old whiskey to meet demands i mean that's where a lot of the challenge has been and continues to be even as distilleries ramp up production which is basically like <laughs> if you want 15 year old bourbon or 15 year old scotch you got to wait 15 years <laughs> and 15 and 15 years ago nobody wanted that stuff so yeah, eventually exactly. Eventually, we will get to a place where there is sufficient, um, you know, or maybe not sufficient, but there's more supply uh, that more uh, correlates with the current demand. But for now, I mean, the demand is unreal and the pricing as a result on a lot of the older stuff has also gotten unreal. I mean, I see that in the bar world where stuff that uh, five years ago was, you know, $25 for a, for a shot is now 75 or $80 because there just isn't any of it. Is that just Pappy, basically? No, it's it's taken all of the stuff because because what what here's what happened, right? So Pappy Van Winkle became super popular, and everyone was like, "I want Pappy Van Winkle." Well, there wasn't very much of it out there, so bars who had it or or distributors who had it were like, "Okay, well, we're raising the price significantly," and the price got up to a point where people still certainly pay for it, but. You know, for one, like I said, there's not a lot of it, and the people who can pay for it are a small audience. So some of those people who maybe could have paid for it when it was, say, $55 or $60 a shot, but now that the Pappy 23 is, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars a shot most places, they're like, well, what else you got that's old? And so everything else that fell into that general category, the the 18-plus-year-old bourbons, you know, some other kinds of aged uh, whiskeys, and even some other non-whiskey uh, spirits that see time in, in barrel, like you've seen a little bit with like old rum and stuff like that. The price has gone up because the demand has just uh, sort of spilled over into those uh, close-by categories, and now it's impossible to get even like a lot of the stuff that was like the 12-year bourbons that, um, that I was you know, that we were pouring a decade ago that were like, you know, eight, like 11, $12 a, a shot amazingly are now like 50. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it makes sense, but it's still ridiculous. That's actually really insane. I guess because I don't, you know, I don't work behind the bar. I sort of don't realize that as much. I know Pappy's huge. I know there's a few other whiskeys that I like that I can't really find as much anymore. Like, uh, you know, Colonel EH Taylor and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is pretty insane that there's so there's just such a demand for age. And I yeah, I agree with you. I think in a lot of in a lot of respects, it doesn't matter as much. Especially I think 
as more and more people are choosing bourbon not to drink straight, but to mix into cocktails. Yeah. Well, it's also, I want to add one other note on this, which I think is super, it's at least interesting to me, which is the price rate, uh, the ri- uh, raising of the prices as something to do with the increased cost that the bar itself is paying. But I also really think it's become sort of a gating mechanism whereby the bar wants to you to know or to think that they have all of these things available, even if they're priced at a point where you would never pay for it. So they want you to know they have that bottle of Pappy Van Winkle and they know that, okay, I have to charge this amount so that someone is only occasionally going to order it because frankly, they don't make maybe even really want to sell it because if they sell it, they're not going to get another bottle for another year and a half. Like that's right. how this works. And it looks better for them. If, if the, someone can be like, Oh wow, do you have Pappy Van Winkle 23? And the bartender can be like, I sure do. You know? And they're like, how much does it cost? And the, and the bartender says, Oh, it's $300 a shot. And that person's like, wow, this is a cool bar. So, <laughs> you know, there's this, there's this weird gating mechanism. Like I said, where a lot of the pricing is, you know, certainly correlates to the cost that the bar itself is paying, but it really is like, they don't want to not have those spirits on their shelf or not on their list. So they're going to charge as much as they think they can so that it looks like something that you could get, but almost certainly wouldn't. Right. That's so interesting. I mean, that makes a lot of sense actually. Um, I mean, it, you know, for me too, it becomes one of these things where because I, you know, write about alcohol now, I get asked if I've had some of these really old whiskeys. And a lot of times it's like, no, because I can't afford it. And no one from any of these distilleries is, even cares anymore to send anyone and press, you know, a taste of these whiskeys. It, it doesn't matter at this point because age is all that people seem to care about. And so when they put 23 on the bottle, people are willing to say, oh, that must mean that it's good. And I definitely think that it, it means it's old and it's going to be smooth and, but it may not be so interesting. And I think that's like what people are missing out on is that, yeah, the whiskey may be old, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be interesting or memorable. Yeah. And I mean, I think if you think about this in sort of general beverage terms, we don't necessarily think of smooth as like the epitome of what makes for a great drink. Like it's nice. And sometimes it's impressive to see sort of the, the elegance and, and sort of smoothness of some of these bourbons, but they often kind of lack uh, a lot of like, it, there's not a lot of interesting flavors in there because those have all been sanded off by time. And it, what you end up with is sort of like, yeah, just this really kind of comfortable, uh, very, very soft, easy drinking spirit, which is great until you realize what you're paying for it. Right. Right. So, I mean, is there any like super old whiskey that you do think is worth it? Uh, boy, that's a hard question because I feel like I, like you, am in the sort of camp of, you know, the, I, the, a lot of that stuff sells itself. Um, and there's only so, there's only so much of it out there. So I'm, I'm also not the person they're necessarily trying to convince. Although sometimes when you work in a bar, you have a chance to try things. Um, don't listen to this, my employers, please. Um, I actually think though, I actually think though that uh, the 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 category more than bourbon, where I feel like age does have um, a chance to express itself more, is in single malt. Um, yeah. And I think the reason for that is that you're not using uh, first fill barrels in those cases, so the wood impact is is less, um, and so it does evolve more over time, even over twenty plus years, in a way that I think you know with bourbon you kind of get to a point, as I said before, at about fifteen or so years, where I think the impact is kind of minimal at that point or at least what everything everything that's going to happen to the bourbon at that point has already kind of happened to it and other than some additional sort of smoothing you're not really developing the flavor any and whereas with uh single malt i think you do see that and you see um that interaction with the wood over 20 plus years because the the wood has less flavor to contribute especially early on um that it takes a really long time for the full expression of the uh integration of those flavors to play out um 
I think it's worth it. But I mean, again, worth it in what sense? Like, do I pay for those whiskeys? Sure as hell not. Unless, um, unless I am, unless I had a really good day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but if someone else wants to pay, uh, then I certainly will appreciate them. I also think, you know, there's an interesting thing, and I'm curious because, you know, you've talked about sort of seeing a lot of this on the writing side. It's my sense, um, just as a buyer and as, um, you know, someone who works in the restaurant industry, that you're seeing a lot of uh, distilleries pushing no, uh, whiskeys with no age statements where they're trying to sort of say, oh, well, this is, you know, we're getting rid of this category of our bourbon or our single malt and we're replacing it with this thing that denotes a certain age but does not have a number attached to it. Um, I'm wondering, is that something you've seen too or am I just making this up? No, I've definitely seen it. And it it comes from the fact that a lot of distilleries don't want to be tied to now having to have whiskey where the youngest thing in the bottle is that age. So they they like to play fast and loose with it instead. So, you know, if they don't have to put an age statement on it, they can have some two-year-old in there. They can have some four-year-old in there, but they can say, Oh, guess what? Like most of this is 10 years old. But if we had if we put an age statement on this, we'd have to tell you that it was a two-year-old. We'd have to tell you that it was a four-year-old, and they don't want to do that anymore. And they don't feel like you know they're they're creating the blends anymore that Americans really care about. Because as we were talking about earlier, they're noticing. I think that a lot of mixologists and a lot of you know just at-home users are putting these bourbons and these whiskeys in cocktails. And so they're like, well, why are we? You know, we were making these bourbons for the most part, and these sc- these single malt scotches, et cetera, to drink straight. And you know, now people are using them for mixology, which is t- totally cool but like let's not waste all of our super old whiskey to you know make these 10 year old when we can make a whiskey from a lot of the you know the whiskeys that are anywhere between the ages of two and eight and just say that this is our super premium what you know dark gold and no one cares yeah well and again i think it comes back to this sort of uh place we're in right now too where there's way more demand than supply especially for older whiskey so there has to be yeah a real assessment on the part of distilleries whether they're large or small or somewhere in between on like what do you do with the stuff you still have in barrel that has some age on it and how are you going to be able to you know sort of produce the most bottles of whiskey uh that will be sellable without necessarily just going by the old model. And and no, I don't think anyone has as yet totally figured that out. I mean, you see a lot of different approaches being taken by um, some of these distilleries and some of these larger um, sort of spirits companies and figuring out branding and marketing. But I do think there is something to, to the point of, you know, when you think about like a lot of the the sort of the, the best known, um, especially bourbons, but I think you can see this with other categories of whiskey. Like, I don't think even I off the top of my head would know what like your sta- what your sort of standard, your classic American bourbon bourbons like what their standard age regimen is like we almost think of those as like i mean i don't even think about them as having an age attached to them even though they certainly well by law have to um have a minimum i just think it's interesting you know that the stuff that we think of as like the base level cocktail uh bourbon or whatever uh we don't even think about as having an age statement and then yeah to go and put sort of these things that are designed for for sipping and for um enjoying straight into a cocktail sort of does warp the Per, the point, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it, but but if there's something, you know, there's cachet to ordering the $75 Manhattan because I definitely see that happen. So interesting that when you were just talking about this, I was just thinking, huh, do I know how old a bottle of Maker's Mark is? Yeah, and I was, I that was a, one of the first ones I thought don't, of. And I, I just went onto the computer since, you know, we're doing, we're podcasting with our, you know, recording over the computers and I'm looking at their label and they don't put an age statement anywhere on it. It just says Maker's Mark straight, you know, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, handmade, distilled, aged, and bottled in the Maker's Mark distillery, Star Hill Farm, Loretta, Kentucky, 
nowhere is there an age statement. So in a lot of ways, maybe, you know, we are, we're freaking out over age statements, but yeah, these top bourbons, they've never used an age statement. Yeah, or I think if they have, you know, it's like it's something that's been hit that was previously on the on the uh, label, but has been since removed, maybe because some of the, you know, some of the ways they make the spirit have changed. Um, I know like Maker's Mark was, you know, sort of this, uh, actually, this is funny because I do know this in the back of my head somewhere. There was a big controversy because they were going to uh, at some point go with a slight, with aging it slightly less, uh, for slightly uh, lesser amount of time and also uh, bottling at a slightly lower uh, proof so that they could have more whiskey. And there was this big outcry in the, um, you know, sort of bourbon drinking community. This was probably five years ago now. Uh, although I'm not really sure anyone could really tell the difference because I don't really think you can tell the difference between like 88 and 90 proof yeah. uh, unless you look at the label. But you know, it was a it got everyone up in arms um, as they were sort of trying to prepare for this um, coming you know sort of crunch of people wanting a lot of bourbon and older bourbon without necessarily having it. But yeah, I think like a lot of the kind of the cornerstone brands in in American um, whiskey. I don't. I, I would have to. I'd have to. I'd have to have a bottle in front of me, which I don't, or I'd have to look it up on the computer, which I certainly could, but that might be, <laughs> that might not be the most riveting, uh, 45 minutes of podcast anyone's listened yeah, to. Yeah, I know that, uh, I don't so, think Bullet does either. I know Bullet has a 10 year that they push really hard, but I don't think the standard Bullet that everyone loves has an age statement. I think they claim that all the whiskey, you know, is around four to six years old, but that's just off the top of my head what I think. Uh, I don't really remember. And I think it's because, yeah, for the most part, like people don't care. The only time that the age statement comes into play is when people are looking at it to collect or looking at, you know, a whiskey they want to take more seriously. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's also, there's like a price point and I'm not sure exactly where that falls, but like below a certain price point, people don't really care. Maybe because the idea is, hey, I'm just going to drink this or I'm going to make a cocktail out of it. Or, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is like tremendously, um, doesn't have to have that sort of collectible value or that cachet to it. But as soon as, yeah, you get above a certain price point, either per shot or per bottle, depending on how you're talking about buying it, then suddenly the the age matters a ton, which I guess makes sense, um, but seems you know uh, seems a little bit like kind of splitting hairs to me, or at least a little bit inconsistent. Um, I had one I had one last sort of aged whiskey question, yeah. which is comes back to this sort of topic, and and I was going to wonder, you know, we talk about you talked about a little bit with some of these younger whiskeys wanting to sort of enjoy them, um, enjoying them more uh, with ice or, or some dilution and and sort of on the flip side talking about using some of these more premium whiskeys in um in cocktails and i'm wondering you know do we almost need to have like sort of two different not exactly designations because god knows there's enough terminology out there already but do we need to have like do we need to do a better job of differentiating between like a bourbon or a rye or whatever that is like meant for cocktails more in you know more purposefully or or if you want to have it on ice and just have something to sip versus like a a spirit that is you know maybe more akin to what people think of when they think of single malt whiskey or or other things like that where like this is not something that you put coke on like this is something that you like you savor for its uh, itself uh i don't really you know i don't think so i think you know I think drink what you like the way you like to drink it. I mean, if you are someone that really likes old whiskey and you still want to put ice on with it, great. Or if you want to mix a little Coke in, which I think is a little crazy, but I, I've literally seen people do it, man. I have been, I was at a bar once, uh, a dive bar in the East Village where 
um, they actually, they have Pappy. They've had Pappy forever and it's expensive, but not crazy expensive. I think they're selling like the, the 12 year old for like $40 a glass, which I don't know. You tell me that didn't seem like that outrageous to me, but, um, a guy came in, he was like a, you know, not to stereotype, it was a banker <laughs> looking. It was like on a Saturday. <laughs> I was there, you know, with some friends who were watching some football. And he sat down at the bar and ordered this glass. As I said, he was celebrating. And then when the bartender put the pappy on the bar, he asked for a splash of Coke. And I, I just could, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, you yeah. got to be kidding me, man. You're putting Coke in pappy? Like this, this is, oh, man. This is just so expensive. But you know what? Then I thought, whatever. I guess – let everyone drink things the way they want to drink them. I don't know if you, if someone wants to put ice cubes in white wine or rosé. I don't think that's a great idea, but if you want to do it, do it. You know, and so I don't know. Do we really need to get down to these fine rules? If this is how you should drink it, if it's this kind compared to that kind of these, this is a whiskey where it's okay if you put it in cocktails, but you know these fa- fancier whiskeys. No, I mean whatever, man. If you want to take a ten year old whiskey and make an old fashioned out of it, even though it's already smooth on its own, you want to add sugar and whatever to it, then I guess do what you want to do. Yeah, it's true. I guess I can't really I can't really in the end tell people that they shouldn't have what they want because I definitely once served a guy like uh, a, I, someone at a bar I was working at many years ago bought a round of uh, double shots of a 25-year single malt with a Red Bull. And I was like, well, yep, all right, man. <laughs> exactly. do, you do you. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't come up with a reason not to do this other than that it makes me sad. But as long as you pay your tab, you're, you're good to go. So, you know, yeah, I think. I guess the moral of the story Drink and let drink. Like, drink what you like. And uh, at the end of the day, like pay attention to age statements if you want to, but realize that there's a lot of great whiskeys out there that may not have age statements that just are really delicious because of the way that they're made or, uh, you know, the blend of, of grains that were used, et cetera. And, you know, don't get super hung up on it. I mean, it doesn't just because a whiskey says that it's, you know, 12 years old doesn't mean that it's better than that eight year old whiskey or even better than a whiskey like Maker's Mark that it has no age statement at all. Yeah. Age is just a number, man. Age is just That's a number. That's what I tell myself all the time. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Me too. Well, man. Zach, this is a great conversation as always. Uh, I look forward to the next one. Absolutely. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you'd rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is recorded in New York City at VinePair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patry, and the show is produced by Zach Jabal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Grinberg. Special thanks as well to the entire VinePair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our executive editor, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.